This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! just want to strangle people can people just calm down i know i get it though people are people are freaking out with good reason it's a scary time i understand but you know i just spent the weekend in los angeles my first time going back into any sort of public situation since the pandemic started and i went right Mm -hmm. to a huge city and went (laughs) to two big events and you know what it was great everybody i didn't see a single person anywhere in that city in a public indoor space who was not masked like they were so on top of it in la it was incredible yeah it was wonderful and i felt very safe like i was really nervous at first because i was like holy shit what's this gonna be like and then i actually got into it and i was like everyone's being cool that's great my weekend was insane (laughs) tell me please tell me I mean, I'll, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version and keep it as short as possible. So I have a friend who is a professional podcaster and a comedian. And um, we went down to visit her and she was like, hey, there's, you know, one of my friends is having a birthday party. It's like a, just a barbecue. We're all just hanging out, like all my, my friend group chilling. Um, she's like, you guys want to come? And I was like, yeah, we'll go to a barbecue. Like, we don't know anybody there, but she's like, nah, it's fine. Everyone's cool. So we get, we're, she's like giving us the, we picked her up and she's like, okay, I'm going to give you directions to Jeff Ross's house. <laughs> I don't know who that is. So, you know, the Comedy Central roasts? Yes. He's the guy who has like led the Comedy Central roasts for like ever since they have existed. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And he's got a beautiful house up at the top of the Hollywood Hills. And that's where the barbecue was held. <laughs> And I was like, okay. who are your friends? <laughs> so um, Paul and I were like off in the corner, like, holy shit, what's going on? And then we got invited to a- another party. <laughs> so I think people thought I was like a famous author. <laughs> I mean, it's true that I'm a bestseller, but that doesn't mean I'm like Stephen King or something, you know? <laughs> but um, it was so funny. I was just going with it. So uh, the end of this story is that at one point, uh, a couple nights later, I found myself running through a pitch black uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery with all of these comedians and famous podcasters trying to evade their fans who were <laughs> coming after them because we were trying to get to the second party. And we we're like, like hustling through this dark cemetery, dodging around headstones, which I don't know if you've ever been to Hollywood Forever, but it is packed. They're, the graves are like crammed on top of each other. And we we're like dodging around like, oh shit, it was wild. You ran through a cemetery with a bunch of famous comedians to evade their fans and get to a party. That's what I just heard. That is what you heard and that is what happened. Amazing. I'm going to Vegas this coming weekend and I hope that's what happens. I hope that's what happens for you because it's truly something that everyone should experience. And then the party, the second party was held in what was clearly an orgy suite. Paul and I got there, like we showed up to where we were supposed to go and we couldn't find this place at all until our hostess popped out of a hole in a literal head and was like it's what like you guys come here we're like what the fuck so you have to like what right in order to get to this place you have to know where the hole in the hedge is yeah you do 
And we go in, the first thing, like this patio that leads to this suite, the patio has a giant chaise long that is definitely big enough to hold three people. And that was our first clue. There's a very large bed in one room and the shower was a room unto itself with a wall of glass. And Paul was like, I think this is a sex lair. (laughs) That's definitely a sex lair. Uh, There was no sex as far as I know at this party we were at, but we all had a great time popping through a hedge to get to a secret orgy suite uh, with a a bunch Uh, of famous podcasters. It was a blast. Warning label on this episode, everybody. (laughs) We're going to talk about Libby's visit to an orgy lair. Uh, It was fun, though. I I got to hang out with a bunch of very well-known podcasters. I did not tell them that I had a podcast because I did not want to have to explain this mess to them. Oh, come on! No, 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 no. No, no, no. You definitely should have brought up this podcast. No, when you were at a party with Marcus fucking Parks, you do not talk about your podcast about Swans Crossing. (laughs) You keep that under your hat. Uh-huh, you don't uh-huh. need to know. Uh, so this is our terrible podcast about Swans Crossing. It's got to grow up sometime, and I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. My God, we watched episode 23 of Swans Crossing. It was fascinating, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot lot to unpack here. Can we talk about the thumbnail? Oh, we can. Go for it. On ShoutFactory.tv, the thumbnail uh, for this episode is obviously at Swans Cafe. Sydney is making bug eyes at something off camera. She's got a very cute, like, side curl hair. Her hair is on point in this episode. In the background, behind Sydney in the thumbnail, are a pair of young ladies sitting on the steps in front of the jukebox. The closer one is wearing a canary yellow t-shirt, blue shorts, and matching blue socks, which is very exciting. And my assumption from this photo was that Sydney had just received some very shocking news and was about to make a noise loud enough to be heard by everyone in the cafe, but the two girls will just ignore it as people do in swans. That's that's what I thought was going on. I wish that had from happened. In the episode, from this, this thumbnail. Oh, I wish that had happened. Well, let's go over your predictions from last time. First of all, you thought the Baldies were going to be in this one for sure, talking about how close Professor Van was getting. Sadly, that did not happen. Nope. You figured that Neil and JT would be back in JT's room working on the computer. No Neil or JT in this one. Gosh. He struck out there. Uh, we, you thought we would be back to the old dynamic of Glory uh, interrupting the important science work. No Glory either, although she did have a, an alleged phone conversation. Uh, you figured there would be some sort of problem with getting the final components the boys need for UB2B. Nope. Uh, you did think there would be more Sandy and Owen and that Sandy would be settling in on her rock star look. I think I'm going to give you that one. She's got the combat boots on. She does. She's looking, looking fly. And you yeah. figured that Grant Booth would do something that uh, Mayor Rutledge would get very upset about and that a political conflict would ensue and there would be fallout from Garrett's arrest and how it affects the campaign. Sadly, that did not happen either. So I, I was one, one halfway correct. Yes, that uh, was maybe your most dismal run so far, but you know what? Yeah. That's okay because this was a weird episode. 100%. Let's dive in, shall we? Let's dive in. Uh, We open with Beric in the tool and die using some jeweler's glasses while he solders something. He hears the door open. He puts down whatever he's working on and covers it up with a rag. Yeah, it's very... The door opens, like, very slowly and creakily, which made me go, oh my gosh, are the Baldies and Swans crossing? It's Callie. It's just Callie. Yep, no big deal. It's Callie. She kind of asks, like, hey, what are you up to? And Beric's like, remember the cat? Curiosity killed it. It is clearly a threat against this child's life. Beric is going to murder her. Mm-hmm. 
we immediately jumped to Swan's <laughs> Cafe. Uh, and I was like, wow, that was abrupt. <laughs> it's like so, so sudden. Uh, Mila and Sydney are, are finishing sodas. But Mila's taking it easy. She doesn't want to gain weight. And her soda's only half finished. Sydney's looks like it hasn't been touched. The girl in the yellow shirt is behind them. I'm going to call her Mandy just so we can continue the EE ending trend. Okay, good. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, they uh, they toast to new friends and uh, Mila adds losing the first boyfriend she ever had. And I was thinking to myself, they went out for what, like two days? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, think back to that time, right? <laughs> think Have... back to that time two days ago. <laughs> Having a boyfriend when you were like 14, that's pretty much what it was. At least back in the 90s. I don't know what kids these days are doing with their Hollywood orgy suites, but I assume <laughs> I assume you get on a sex app at 13 now. That's just my assumption. I mean, I kind of think all of social media is a sex app, really. Sydney seems genuinely into the friendship with Mila now. As far as I can tell, like there's no doom music to indicate that she's plotting and manipulating. Like she seems genuinely genuinely friendly with Mila. It's kind of nice and to she, see. And she has an idea for uh, Mila to get her mind off of Garrett. Yes. Which is which is very exciting. Yeah, she refers um, to it as Mila's new career, which Mila doesn't understand yet. She's like, what? Mila hasn't had a fr- I mean, I guess I guess she was the star of Friday Night Dreams or Saturday Afternoon. Uh, I believe you mean Three O'Clock Dreams. <laughs> That's that's the one I'm talking about. I can never remember the title of that stupid thing. Uh, I think I think that's intentional. I think that's my brain protecting me. It's a coping mechanism. Uh, so we cut to Owen's studio, where Sandy bursts in from camera left, reminding us that we have no frame of reference for where the doors are in this room. <laughs> She's very excited about receiving an application in the mail. We have to- remember mail. Oh, I remember mail. We do have to talk about Sandy's outfit though, because it is atrocious. Oh. It's a white crop t-shirt, but then over that she's got this pinafore-like thing that's like on the top, it's white overalls, like an overall bib with straps, and on the bottom it's like this flowing hippie skirt. It is so it's a choice. Yeah, and it's very it's very like light and breezy on top, like lots of white, lots of like soft colors. And then she's wearing black combat boots. Yes. I am here for this outfit. I mean, it is distinctive. I will say that. It's distinctive. (laughs) Anyway, so she's very excited about receiving the application. Owen doesn't answer. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the episode. Owen does not answer. She finds him behind the drum set and asks why he didn't hear her. He says he's stuck. (laughs) Which is obviously impairing his hearing, apparently. She tells him to give him give her his sneaker, which he does. He hands a sneaker up to her. This somehow unsticks him. I know. I'm very con- he- concerned about the mechanics of what's going on behind that drum set. Because as we have already yeah. established on this podcast, I have dated many percussionists. I've been around a lot of drum sets. And I can confirm... There is nothing on the inside of a drum set that would make you get stuck. Like, even Neil Peart, who had to be crane lifted into the interior of his incredible drum set, would not get stuck in his own drum set. So... Yeah. Owen gets up, walks over to the keyboard, and seems to have forgotten about his sneaker and that Sandy's even there at all. 
This is the weirdest interaction, with a few exceptions, <laughs> that I have seen on this show so far. I'm glad you qualified that with a few exceptions. A few exceptions. The, the, <laughs> the situation around the boys being in the water on the 4th of July, right up there at the top of the weirdest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Are you referring to the somersaults? Is that what we're talking about here? That's part of it. It's the <laughs> somersaults, and it's it's a lot of the girls shrieking and describing what's happening in the water. That was one of the... I don't understand why Sandy is so hung up on this dude. Like, Sandy, you are better than this. Owen just doesn't pay attention to you. Owen doesn't pay attention to much other than Mila, as we are reminded later in the episode. So she hands him his sneaker back after reminding him that he's not wearing it. Uh, hands him the expect the application sort of excitedly. He opens it and looks at it as she begins rifling through some things on the shelf behind him. Yeah. And we discover that the application is for a contest to appear at a World Hunger Benefit concert. It is several pages long. And Sandy is behind him searching for their demo tape. Searching by literally picking up everything on the shelf and just throwing it around. I mean, there's like papers, there's CD cases, just things, just pew, pew, throwing them over her shoulders <laughs> in the most wild fashion. Owen seems mystified by the application. It's like, there's so many questions. <laughs> Do we have to answer and all these questions? Yes. <laughs> thank God we find out what some of those questions are later because, oh, they they are so choice. Oh, they are. So he does kind of read out part of the application and it's clear that it is to benefit world hunger that is the most late 80s slash early 90s thing ever like i feel like there were many such concerts during that era maybe it was just the one big one and then it like became this sort of cultural echo where everybody laughed and referenced concerts to benefit world hunger but um it was a thing back then oh yeah i wonder i wonder if there was a point at which Nobody was checking up on you enough to the point where you could throw a benefit for world hunger, make a lot of money, and send some of it to world hunger. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what was happening, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this was like the tail end of the Reagan era. It was no regulation on anything. I feel like, yeah, I feel like you could feasibly just, like, go into business throwing benefit concerts I'm and sure. making, like... I'm sure people did that. The, Hundreds of thousands the, of dollars. The 80s and 90s equivalent of Firefest or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Owen claims that Sandy's like, where is the demo tape? We need it for our application. And he's like, well, I'm still working on it. It needs something more. And Sandy is like about to strangle him. She gives this really great look that's like, I'm going to fucking murder you, dude. <laughs> when, he says, when he says he's remixing this tape, there is this weird smirk on his face. Like he is some sort of evil mastermind. And this this is his pinky in the brain attempt to take over the world. Like is he is, is what what was it backtracking? What what was the thing where you like you'd play the tape backward? Oh backmasking. Um, backmasking. Yeah. Is he backmasking this tape? Backtracking. Oh, what? what would Owen backmask onto his tapes? I, I'm sure it's something about Mila. Something about Obviously Mila. Something about Mila. And stuff about reptiles. Yes. He would call Mila his 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 glorious lizard queen. Listen, so I have reached out to all of the cast members except for Sarah Michelle Geller, because why would she ever talk to me? And also um 
uh, Christy Barbera, who played Nancy, because Christy has done the impossible and has managed to vanish from the internet. I'm jealous of her. She no longer exists online. Well done, Christy. I've reached out to everyone. Some have responded and it has been glorious and wonderful. And I'm looking to doing some interviews as bonus content for our 23 listeners we have now. Thank you. Uh-huh. And um, this is why I didn't mention this podcast to Marcus Parks. He doesn't need to know about my 23 listeners. And I will say uh, a lot of people have responded, which is great. And we are we are working on lining up some fun talks. Evan Ferrante, who played Owen, saw my message and left me on red. I'm pretty sure he didn't respond because he might actually know how much we hate Owen as a character. <laughs> He's like, I'm not walking into this mess. They're going to really apart. We wouldn't, though. No, oh. we're not. We love every single person in this show. No, we adore them all. In fact, especially Evan, because he is really funny. Like, he's done some funny, awesome shit since since his Swan's Crossing days. Did you know he... Oh. So he's on social media. He's he's at not Tom Cruise, and he is, like, a professional Tom Cruise impersonator now, and he's really good. <laughs> That's amazing. I love <laughs> really that. really good. His videos are hilarious. So, yeah. Don't like Owen. Do love Evan. Uh, when we come back, we, we cut to commercial after after this uh, oh. Sandy wants to murder Owen scene. We cannot gloss over the re-edit of the theme song here. Oh, no, no. Go, please. Walk us through it. It's beautiful. We cut We cut to commercial. The theme song starts up. Everything. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a, a recut from previous. But the last two shots of Gotta Grow Up Sometime, the theme song, are the almost kiss between Garrett and Sandy in the fever dream from the the episode where, where half of it is fever dream. Yes. So they're dancing, they're slow dancing, and Garrett leans in to kiss, and then it cuts immediately to the rocket, like, shooting up just a little bit and exploding. <laughs> and I was like, if that isn't no. a, a metaphor for male pubescence, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I guess we know what happened at the end of that dance. Garrett's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. It was so good. <laughs> the timing on that, I wonder if it was intentional on the part of the editors if they're like, we gotta put something funny in here just for us. This one's for us. Oh, you know that was intentional. Disney's been slipping penises into animation for 50 years the swans crossing editors <laughs> definitely anyway after that incredible sequence in the opening credits we're back at swans where sydney and mila are still chatting jazz gives them a second round of like ice creamy treats they're milkshakes i guess and um sydney tells her she needs to take her mind off things by using her talents to the fullest extent and mila's like i don't even know what my talents are anymore oh are you sandy mila pause for just a second uh first of all it's hilarious to me that they've already ordered second beverages when they were talking about being afraid of gaining weight in the first scene yes and secondly jazz's hair is so big in this episode Jazz went full bore on her hair for this one because I think she knew she was going to have a lot of screen time. So she's like, I'm going, I'm going for it. I'm going to make is, myself look fabulous. Big and teased out. It's beautiful. And she has on a tie, like a men's necktie with tropical fish on it. She's looking very oh, snazzy. Yeah. So Sydney is trying to rope Mila into the stage building project to distract her. During this whole conversation, I do want to I do also want to point out that there is an extremely animated non-conversation <laughs> happening behind them. The extras in Swan's Cafe are my favorite. Just watching them 
pretend to have silent conversations in the background is beautiful. I have, um, a, I have a question for you, Nathan, as a fellow stage person. Uh, <laughs> what was what was the phrase or the words that you would use to simulate silent conversation while you were, if you ever were a background extra, or have you always been a leading man? I mean, I have not done a lot of back, like a lot of background extra work, but I, uh, the show. one. <laughs> Sorry, what? I said brag, why don't you? Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, you're a professional word person. Let me have this. <laughs> but I watermelon watermelon uh is the, the one that I have heard a lot. Oh, you did watermelon. We did peas and carrots sarsaparilla. And oh carrots. nice. Yeah, it's a good nice. one. <laughs> just a little just a little pro acting tip to everybody out there, yeah. just you know, for our Swans Crossing listeners. Mm-hmm. Sydney wants Mila to coordinate the entertainment for the gala that they're gonna be having to inaugurate the stage. Mila seems very jazzed about this. <laughs> and as, as they're discussing it, Jazz shows up with another milkshake that Sydney has ordered for Mila. A third ice creamy treat appears for Mila. And so she hasn't even started on the second one. And and then Sydney Sydney's like, I ordered it for you. So now I have to call back to their previous conversation where they were talking. So so Mila's like, oh, I don't want to get fat. And Sydney's like, nah, just who cares? We're going to have fun. So now I think Sydney is trying to like feed her up to make her fat. Is that what's going on here? Either either that is what's happening or in filming Jazz plopped down a drink on the table and Sydney just improvised that line. One of those two things happened. (laughs) You're probably right. So Mila grabs a napkin. She's all getting into it. She starts making a list of things she's going to do on this napkin. She's like, yeah, I'm going to be the talent coordinator. It's going to be great. And then Sydney points out that she hasn't mentioned Garrett in like 10 minutes. And she's like, Mila's like, yeah, this really is better, I think. And then Sydney- Better than thinking about Garrett. Yeah. And she gets up from the table without touching either of the second or third milkshakes. And like breezes out of the (laughs) breezes out of the cafe going, it's turning out to be a wonderful day. (laughs) She's starting to take after her mom with all those those flouncing Uh lines. After Mila kind of goes off happily, Sydney agrees that it's a wonderful day. Then she catches Jazz, who's watching her suspiciously. And Sydney kind of It's so good. Jazz has her eye on her, and Sydney kind of glances around the soda shop. And then she smiles straight down the barrel of the camera right at the viewer. It's great. Oh my god. I need to make so I, I'm gonna make a super cut of like all of Sydney's best takes to camera. <laughs> I need to do this. Yes. I'll put it up on Instagram yes. like tomorrow, Saturday. If anybody if anybody has watched this enough to know what all of Sydney's best <laughs> takes to camera are, it's definitely you. <laughs> it's me and Ray Kowalski. <laughs> he's he's the number one Swans Crossing super fan of the universe. We love you, Ray. <laughs> I love that you know the other person who is the other giant super fan of this show. I mean, there are only two of us in the world, so <laughs> you are you are in so deep, Libby. <laughs> Come back. Come back to us. Stupid, All right. Stupid show. <clears throat> ah, okay. We- we cut back to the tool and die where Callie is asking if Barack is also a jeweler now. Starts listing his accomplishment. Pro baseball, published poet, rocket scientist, and now he can cut his own diamonds. I want to know, do you use a soldering iron to cut diamonds? First of all, you called him Barack as in Obama, so now I'm picturing Obama doing all this. Barack, excuse me. I like it better if it's Mr. Obama. <laughs> I do. I do apologize to our former president. 
<laughs> so Barrick asks her if it's her day off. Callie says she has to fix Ralph's jet ski. He wants to go riding tomorrow. Beric understandably assumes that Ralph is a child. Although I believe the last person to be named Ralph was probably born in 1932. I think that's true. Um, But Callie informs him that it is the Rutledge's butler. And literally my notes go, wait, (laughs) Ralph is going to ride a jet ski? Ralph uh, Ralph gets pretty badass over the course of this show, I'll tell you that. The jet ski is just the first glimpse we have into his rich inner life. I this this is this is the Ralph I didn't know I needed. Oh yeah, and you're gonna get a lot more of this Ralph too, and you're gonna be so grateful. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Barrick asks if it's the really important family, the Rutledges. Callie tells him no one's more important than anyone else here. To which he laughs, and apparently he's laughing at the idea of Ralph on a jet ski. I assumed, as I think most viewers would, that he was laughing at the, at the idea that there are no families that are more important than other families in this town. <laughs> Beric still tries to chase her out of the shop, though. He's saying, like, listen, I'll fix the jet ski. You, you take the day off and have some fun. But she's reluctant to let someone else do her work, which is understandable. Like, you know, some people have a work ethic, Beric, even if they're young. And he's like, don't you ever just goof around like other kids? And she says, how do you know that's what I want? Which, good point. Leave her alone. Yeah. There's some strangely intense dialogue where he encourages encourages her to go fishing. Again, strangely sexual. Yes, indeed. He, he, turns, he turns her around and pushes her physically out of the shop with a up, two, three, four sort of thing. And as, as he's closing, as he's closing the door of the shop behind Callie, I couldn't help myself. This poem sprang to my mind. I do not like it when he touches Callie. I do not like him in a darkened alley. He is not the man. He is the man I do not like. I do not like him fixing bikes. His creepiness leaves me in shock. I do not like that man, Barack. <laughs> but it is Barrick. I just want to point that out. Again, apologies for that. That was the best thing that has ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> and I thought I was the wordsmith. Listen, I'm not a published poet, but I do understand rhymes. Oh my god, that was... And Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it was beautifully done, Nathan. Well, back in the studio. <laughs> I'm still laughing. I do not like that man, Barack. I do not like that man, Barack. Or Barack. Back in the... <laughs> in the studio sandy is still fretting over owen's insistence that the demo tape isn't right yet and owen looks over the application he's like do we really have to answer all these questions so they get to work on the questionnaire most of the questions are fairly silly it's like uh would you rather be in space or under the sea i don't know how that's going to help them weed out who gets to play at this this scam benefit for hunger thing but okay they get to some questions that are actually about their band and and uh sandy's filling them all in and she finally gets to the question of are there any backup singers and again mila comes in out of nowhere (laughs) i hate the set for the studio so much she does she runs in from like camera right which is opposite from where sandy came in last time yep she's all excited she starts chattering about some inspiration she had sandy kind of says hi mila like hello i'm right here you jackass and mila goes Oh, I didn't even notice you. <laughs> the withering look Sandy gives to the camera is so good. It's so good. And we get the, the my favorite background cue music, which indicates that 
Sandy is now scheming Sydney style. Oh, incredible! That's what's so. Um, that's the scheming music. So <laughs> we cut to commercial. When we get back, Owen is just staring at Mila from inches away, yes. just right, like close enough to kiss her if he wants to, which he clearly does. In full fever dream mode, like with the harp music and everything. Oh my gosh! Uh, she explains about being the she, and she's like Owen. Owen, Owen, which is like snap. She has to say it like four times to she get his like attention back. She him on the face too, like, hello. Like she's about to slap him to bring him out of his trance. Or she tells Owen that Sydney has elected her the entertainment chairperson for the big concert. She's in charge of hiring all the performers and she wants to use local talent. So that means Owen. And then she belatedly adds, Owen, oh, Sandy too. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sandy says yes. Mila wants something new for that night. Owen says that they're working on something new, fortunately. And Sandy Sandy has to like sort of steer Owen back to, you know, after we're done with this application, because let's finish this up, Owen. She explains the whole thing to Mila, really, really builds up the importance of this application. Is Owen moving furniture in the background as this is going on? I think he's setting up some recording equipment it's very there is so much audio noise yeah it sounds like when your upstairs neighbors are are building ikea furniture at 11 p.m at night yeah yeah and we get we get a little bit of a surprise when it turns out that the producer that they are sending the application to is mila's uncle bobby right like not technically her uncle but she's always apparently been close with him or something which Again, makes me feel uncomfortable for poor Mila. I feel like she has been an exploited child all her life. Oh, definitely. But she does offer to send in their their demo tape personally because it would make her, quote, feel like a mover and shaker, (laughs) to which Owen has the strangest, wonderful response I've ever seen. He does this weird rim shot on the drums as he says, shake, rattle, and roll. (laughs) The one problem that they're having, having is that the demo tape, according to Owen, needs... Some sweetening. Yeah, so the demo tape, they can't send the demo tape to Uncle Bobby yet because Owen's still fucking around with it. Yeah, he won't stop. And and he's like, hey, all we need is a little rehearsal. And it's obvious that he means that he wants Mila to sing back up on this demo. Yeah. Uh, The camera pans over to Sandy, who is giving Mila the stink eye. Oh, Sandy's had it. She's had it. She's not taking it anymore. Oh, my gosh. So We cut to... Oh, we're at the submarine now. The submarine! The submarine, baby. And Jimmy is screwing around with the periscope and playing sea battle. Yep, he is, uh, he's definitely like looking through the periscope, pretending that he is firing torpedoes at an enemy vessel. <laughs> uh, and literally what I thought was going to happen was that the captain was going to come into the scene and be like, ah, torpedoes, <laughs> danger, blah, 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 and actually take it seriously. And I was a little bit disappointed when it's just like Callie comes down the ladder into into the submarine and asks him what he's doing there. And he says, your dad let me in. Yeah, I, we, this, this episode is sadly devoid of Captain Elia Walker Walker. Um, it's a bummer. So far, he's only been in one episode, right? No, I mean, he's briefly appeared in a couple, just very briefly. Okay. Like Callie has interacted with him. We are going to get a lot of him in a in a future episode that's not too far in in the in the future here. 
that was a bad way of oh. saying things. But my my favorite part about this is where did the captain go? Like, why would you leave a teenage boy alone on your submarine? <laughs> what a terrible idea. So um yeah, he's he's gone. Callie climbs down the ladder, catches him in the act of of screwing around. He's embarrassed and he's like, Dad, let me in. And um Jimmy says that the captain has gone off to look for a graphite fishing pole because anyone who lives on a submarine must have one. I don't see how that follows, but okay. So yeah. he says that Captain Walker has gone, quote, downstairs to look for the pole. And Callie's like, it's below. He's fixing the bilge pump. <laughs> they have a very awkward conversation about what it's like to live on a sub. Somehow Barrick comes up in this conversation. And Callie kind of implies that Barrick's a weirdo. And Jimmy's like, he's not weird. He's a cool guy. And Callie's like, listen, Jimmy, you have a very different... <laughs> experience of Barrick than Callie does. Yeah. Barrick keeps touching her and making sex comments at her and it's creepy. I do not like that man, Barrick. Nor do I. We cut to Swans where Sydney is on her Zach Morris brick phone with someone coordinating bunting and streamers for the mayoral inauguration concert. Jazz is on the Swan phone (laughs) of the cafe and for, like it is written in such a way that it sounds like they are having the same conversation for a brief instant, which is uh, confusing to say the least. And one of my favorite things that Sydney says to the person she's coordinating the bunting with is, "I always discuss color before construction." I'm so glad that the stage the stage project is getting some life in this episode. I know, and I also feel like how much experience has this 14 year old child had with construction anyway? <laughs> On all these many occasions when she has had to oversee the construction of something. (laughs) Right. You got to talk color first. So we realize that Jazz is actually talking to Glory about something and Glory seems to be asking for her help with whatever this problem is. I don't, I can't imagine why, if you needed help with something, why would you call the waitress slash owner of the local soda shop for that help? Right. Like, are Glory and Jazz super tight? What is happening here? I think Glory and Jazz are super tight, as Glory is the only kind person in Swan's Crossing. That's a good point. I, I sort of, I sort of see Jazz leaning on Glory for a bit of support <laughs> as she navigates the the terrible waters of dealing with all of these horrific teenagers. <laughs> Glory, Jazz is like the only person with a soul in this entire town is this thirteen year old girl. I'm gonna have to yep. befriend her if I want to survive. <laughs> That's what I think is happening. Oh, Jazz hangs up her swan phone and she brings a, a, a tray with some drinks on it over to Sydney. It's a bottle of water, a glass with ice in it. And on top of the bottle of water, like stuck to it, is a whole ass lemon. What is Jazz's thing with entire lemons? No, 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 no. It's Sydney's thing with entire lemons. I mean, remember when Sydney asked Jazz for for a Coke with lemons and make sure you don't forget the lemons and like in snarky retaliation, Jazz just gave her a whole bowl full of unsliced lemons. I think Jazz has had it with being yelled at over stupid shit. (laughs) I can't blame her. So, I mean, if it were me, you better believe I'm bringing a whole fucking lemon every time I give Sydney anything. I love that she took the time to cut out a hole in the lemon that would fit over the top of this water bottle and then stuck it on top of the water bottle. It's like, here's your lemon, bitch. At this point, Jazz has a, like, a hole punch for lemon <laughs> that she uses anytime Sydney comes in. 
I'm never going to be able to pick a title for this episode. We have so many good options. I do like do not like <laughs> that man Barack. A whole punch for lemons. I mean, it's just they keep coming. It's so good. We're you know we're only halfway through, folks. <laughs> Jazz, uh, Sydney's like, I didn't order this. And Jazz says, yeah, I brought it to you because we need to talk. She pulls up a chair and she says, Glory is really getting worried about Garrett because he's feeling lower than he ever has in his whole life. And Sydney is delighted. She's so bad at hiding her glee. And she's like, details? <laughs> she's like laughing and tell me everything. Just sucking it up. Uh, Jazz says that Garrett has locked himself in his room and he won't let anyone in, not even Glory. And Sydney's like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Jazz is pretty insistent that Sydney has gone too far. Uh, starts going through all of the ways that Garrett has suffered. <laughs> Poor Garrett. Oh my gosh, he's off of the baseball team for four weeks. And he's grounded. Like these, I know to a kid of that age, it seems like the worst thing in the world, but why would an adult care? Why would Jazz be like, oh, he got grounded for four weeks? Oh, it's so, it's un, it's intolerable, the cruelty. Like, she'd be like, big fucking deal. Come on. Did you get grounded as a child? Yeah, I got grounded occasionally. We almost never got grounded. And I think it is because my parents figured out very early on that grounding is actually a punishment to the parent. Yes, because you're stuck home. And also... It just didn't phase me. It didn't bother me. I was like, oh, no, don't make me stay in my room where all my books are. <laughs> just sit and read all day. All right. All right, nerd. <laughs> That's it. You can't ground a nerd. We are ungroundable. Can't ground a nerd. <laughs> That's another good title. Another great title for this episode. I'm going to have my work cut out for me with this one. So um, Jazz points out that Sydney had better be ready for what Garrett unleashes upon her. She says... I hope you're ready for the worst summer of your life. <laughs> to which Sydney replies, this is definitely one of the worst conversations of my life. <laughs> Good zinger. And and she Jazz reminds Sydney that because Garrett is grounded, he has nothing to do but plot revenge. And she, Sydney's like, revenge? And I was like, oh, it's the moment from the thumbnail. <laughs> And it's it's interesting that Sydney didn't seem to see this coming because she is uh, she's usually thinking a few steps ahead of everybody else, but she did not foresee that by getting Garrett grounded, he would just have all this time to think and scheme by himself and to explore his most evil impulses, which are already pretty evil. So, I mean, it, it really does seem like she believed that. Once once she had enacted her evil scheme, that that would be literally the end of it. Like, Garrett is somehow dead now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she thought she won forever. But as, as Jazz's foreshadowing here points out, it's just getting started. Like, the conflict between them is just going to ramp up to new heights from this point on. We come back to the sub, where Callie has retrieved the fishing pole for Jimmy, because I guess her dad is still trying to fix the bilge pump. More awkward conversation ensues, and Callie suggests that she might come along on his fishing excursion, but Jimmy says some other time, because he and Barrack are going fishing together. He's going to show Barrack the fishing hole. Yeah, you are, Jimmy. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't want to know. Callie's kind of mad that they're going fishing without her. And uh, she asks where they're going. And Jimmy says, oh, we're meeting up at the lake. And hopefully Barrett can find his way there. So she's like, no, 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 no. They're meeting at Swan's Lake. Of course. Swan's Lake. Of course it's Swan's Lake. Of course it is. Callie says, well, why don't you just pick him up at the tool and die? And Jimmy's like, well, because Barrett asked me not to stop by. 
So Callie looks even more suspicious. So suspicious. Jimmy finally leaves after it's been very clear for like 10 minutes that Callie no longer wants him on the submarine. <laughs> and we cut to the studio. Uh, Sandy is in the middle of swing of singing Talkin' Sweet as Honey. Yeah, my jam! Owen stops and comments that it was a little hollow. Well, what wait. we need is a backup singer. The, the incredible thing about this scene is that Owen manages to stop the playback of the already recorded music by just hitting his ride cymbal. Like, he doesn't move anywhere, he just hits the cymbal and the music stops. It's a magic recording studio. And, and then he gazes over at Mila. Oh yeah, and we know what's coming, don't we? Owen launches it's into a fever dream. Gold dress fever dream, baby! It's all there, the hair blowing, the whole nine yards. Sandy tries to get his attention, but he's completely checked out, just fantasizing about Mila. It's hopeless. We cut to Sydney at the booth porch. Yes. She she has just flaunting the dangers stepped onto the porch of the booth residence where she finds Garrett's broken Game Boy on the arm of the porch divan. She picks it up and she says, there's nothing he can do to me. And then just walks away. So this was a totally pointless scene. Yep. And I, literally, she. my notes say, she walks away. What the fuck? We cut to Jimmy walking through town. He stops for a brief moment, apparently, to contemplate the fishing pole. Because that's what that's what he's looking at. And then he just walks on. So again, why? What was the purpose of that? Yep. You know, finally, we see Callie dressed in a rad khaki jean jacket, creeping around the exterior of the tool and die. There's a note on the door that says, Gone Fishing. She tries to open the door, and there's a padlock on the outside. And there's a PS on that note. It says, Callie, go out and play. She crumples the note, chucks it on the ground, freeze frame, credits. Ah! Also, there's a credit for a guy named Joe Butt. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) This is those editors having a good time again. (laughs) Or it's just a guy whose real name is Joe Butt, and I'm being a total dick by laughing at him. That's possible. Anyway, um... That was episode 23. Oh, we've got some some intense stuff set up here. What's going to happen? I'm shocked, that, I'm shocked that Callie just didn't pull out a locksmith kit and pick that <laughs> the padlock on that door. I know. She knows how to do everything else. Well, um, Nathan, I'm going to remind you that you said that next episode. <laughs> Who was our psychopath of the week for this one, though? Oh. oh. I mean, probably it's either Owen or Sydney, I would think. I, this is a tough one because, I mean, Barrick was super creepy, as always. Owen yeah. was completely lost in his weird Mila fantasies. Sydney scheming again? I don't know. I, I'm going to go with Owen for this one. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm on board. Am I, am I doing uh, predictions now? Well, what was our swan count? Oh, our swan. So we had three new fake swans. Uh, which brings our running count to two imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 69 other swans. 69 swans! Hey. I'm, so glad, I'm so glad you went there with me. <laughs> I mean, I've already been laughing at Joe Butt, so of course I'm going to laugh at 69 swans. <laughs> 69 swans. It's a real milestone for us. I will say, one of the, one of the swans, we, we had the swan in the opening credit sequence, 
We had the phone swan, which was already mentioned, but there is a there is a little bit difficult to see swan, which is the swan basket at Swan's Cafe in the background. Yes. So yes, I uh, I'm going to mute, and you go ahead and hit me with your predictions for next week. Okay, so given what you said, I'm going to say Callie picks the padlock on the tool and die, goes in and discovers what Barrack. I, I spell it Barack in my notes and, and having seen, you know, the name of our president for years and years and years, it's very hard for me to say it as Barrack. But anyway, she goes in, uh, discovers what Barrack has been working on. And I think it is, I think it's a radio device that contacts the Baldies or the FBI guys. I think that's what that is. Barrack was working on in The Tool and Die. I think we don't see any of Barrick and Jimmy fishing. We don't, we see way less Sydney. We get a lot of Garrett scheming, but not in his bedroom because they don't have a bedroom set. So I think he goes in and talks to Glory in her bedroom about what his plot is. I think we're, we get a lot more. I'm, I'm going to go back to my predictions about uh, JT and Neil being back at JT's room doing computer things and science things and trying to track down the location of the the virus or what what's going on with the virus. I think if we're lucky, we'll get a little bit more in the studio with Mila and Owen and Sandy, but I actually don't think that's going to happen. I think that's going to be the following episode. Owen trying to get Mila to sing back up. And my concern here is that Mila is going to sound terrible and Sandy's going to be like, she sounds terrible. And Owen's going to be like, no, she's wonderful. It's the sweeting sweetness we needed for this demo tape. Anyway, those are my predictions. Okay. Excellent. Um, some very solid, rational predictions, some normal things that you would expect to happen on a TV show. Sweet Mary, mother of God, Nathan, you are not prepared for episode 24. (laughs) Okay. Uh, right. uh, it is probably, it, it's among my favorite episodes of the entire show, just because it's just bat shittery from start to finish. And um, Can't I, wait. I cannot, I, I expect I will receive many a text message in all caps from you while you're watching it. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite things to do when, when I'm watching the show is to send you, send you emails and texts. In all caps. It's one of my favorite things to receive. (laughs) Confused, freaking out texts from Nathan about Swan's Crossing. Dear listeners, we had we had some we had some discussions about whether or not I should watch all of Swan's Crossing before we started to do the podcast. And I am so glad I have not. I'm glad (laughs) too. We made the right choice. Oh fucking crazy. Oh, I didn't crazier, buddy. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, social media, this has been a great episode. We're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. Please go check out the video I will have put up by then of all of uh, Sarah Michelle Keller's best takes to camera from Swans Crossing. <laughs> And uh, until we meet again, friends, uh, may the may the fish be jumping, the cotton be high, and the child molesters stay far away from you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
you're ready. For what? For the worst summer of your life. Well, this is definitely one of the worst conversations. Fine, I can be doing something more useful, like cleaning syrup dispensers. 